Okay, so this this is what I want to share. I want to share a testimony about God's faithfulness. Um, I was just sharing with somebody yesterday um, about this, and then I, I was I came to first service. I like saw that's what God was doing, and I, I felt that's what I wanted to test about, testify about. Like if you guys leave here with something, I want you guys to leave here knowing that God is who He says He is. Amen. He is who He says He is. Um, basically, there was um, there's this scripture, and it says, um, "Don't be anxious about anything." So it says. Luke 12, verse 22 to 31, it says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they neither sow or reap, they neither have storehouses or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? And I want to share with you guys, dude, that scripture has been tr so true for me in my life. Like, everything that I've needed, God has always provided. I have never went without lack, never went without. And I'll tell you that there are seasons in my life and um, with my marriage where we struggled with our finances. My husband's a teacher, but they don't get paid in the summers, everybody knows. So, there, dude, there were summers where we were struggling. And we were thinking, you know, well, I thought to myself, like, man, you know, we, like, we don't have the money to give an offering to God right now. We don't have the money to tithe right now, you know. And... My husband said, no, be faithful, and he encouraged me. So we were faithful even when we didn't have it, even when I felt hand-pressed, you know. And God provided. God used family, friends around us to bless us as we were faithful in our giving to God and being faithful to seek his kingdom first. Um, he provided and he added those things onto us, everything that we needed, whether it was food that we needed, whether it's clothes, you know, um, things, everything that we needed, God always provided. So I want to encourage you guys today that if God has promised something or spoke something over your life, to not just forget about it or something like that. Dude, seek God's kingdom first, and he's going to be faithful to what he told you he was going to do. If you know you're faithful to God, whether it's in your giving or in your time to God or, or um, faithful in prayer, dude, God will, God will bless that. And the next, the next verse after that, a few verses down, it says that if you seek God's kingdom first, everything else is going to be added to you. You know, because if you're stressing about these things, I wasn't going to change stressing about like, oh, man, we got to go to the food pantry. Or I wasn't going to change things stressing about like that, you know, but just trusting God, God provided and God took care of it. So I want to pray over you guys today. Lord, I pray um, right now in Jesus name that if anyone's here, Lord, and that if they have any felt needs, God, I thank you, God, that you're the God who sees that your word says, God, that you see all God, you know, all God. And I pray, God, that they would trust you like never before, God, that they would trust you, God, with their finances, that they would trust you with their family, that they would trust you with their lives, with their jobs, with their children, God, that whatever it is, God, that they're worried about or anxious about, God, I pray, God, that you would provide for all of their needs, all of the congregation's needs, whether it be emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, God, I pray, God, that as they begin to seek your kingdom first, God, that everything else will follow them, God, that they shall lack no good thing, God, that you would provide for all of their needs, according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God, I rebuke the spirit of fear in Jesus' name. God, I pray if anyone's fearing about not having enough or not having something that they need, God, I pray, God, that they would cling to your word, God, because your word says that you know what we need in advance, God, and that you're going to provide, God. So we thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, the provider, and I thank you in advance for meeting everyone's needs, God, according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I speak faith over this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
worship God in all the splendor of his glory. God, we just thank you, God, for being in this place. I want those of you to just put your hands together because we are just going to rock this house out for Jesus today. We are so excited to praise you, God, because we are chosen.
are so excited, God, to be free today, Lord. And Lord, I just pray today that in this freedom, God, that we would just surrender it all to you, God. That you would have your way in this place, God, in our hearts, Lord. Because, God, without out your freedom, Lord, we have nothing. We just end up in the same bondage, the same shackles that we had before. God, but you've called us for greater than that. God, you've called us to be overcomers, Lord. We are not the same as we were yesterday. We're not going to be the same tomorrow, Lord, if we keep walking with you, God. And we just, we just want to bless your name, God, for the freedoms that you've given us, God. You give us freedom to just walk with you and know you, Lord. And, and I just... I am just asking God for your just movement in this place. If you guys don't know that we are a church that believes in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we believe in the evidence of speaking in tongues. Lord God, I just pray that you would just come and fill the atmosphere, Lord, with your presence, God. Oh, Jesus, we are so in love with you, God. And we just want to sing this next song to you, God, because we want to bless the Lord. just give you room to talk to us each in this place, God.
It came down, God. It rescued me from, from myself, oh God. <laughs> oh, Lord, hallelujah. I just want us to sing that, that, that love came down and it rescued me. And to make that personal to you today, that it, it came down and it set you free. And that I am yours, Jesus. I am forever yours as you are mine. Let's shout this out this morning. Come on. Through every mountain high and valley low, we're going to sing out and we're going to remind our soul that we belong to Jesus. Oh God, we love you, Lord. The word says you inhabit. 
your people. Church, she is inhabiting your praise today. The Bible says that if we don't cry out, that if we don't praise him, the rocks will shout out. There is not going to be a rock that's going to take my praise. There isn't going to be a rock that's going to take my place. As sons and daughters of the king, we need to shout it out from the rooftops. We belong to him and he is ours. So let's John 3:16, one of the most popular, famous Bible verses that we teach children to memorize from the youngest of age. John 3:16. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrosik. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and it's so good to see all of your wonderful faces. This message is for those of you this morning who are not right with God. You once lived for him, you walked away, or you've never lived for Jesus. You've never been born again. This message is for you. And the gospel means good news. So look to your neighbor and say, she's got good news for you. In John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It was the love of a father, the love of our father, God in heaven, who said, I need to come down and make a way for my creation to have a relationship with me again. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We could not save ourselves, and we never could, we never can, we never will. And there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that will be good enough, that will measure up for us to be in a right standing with God. It's only through the blood of Jesus. And Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. And that resurrection life, that resurrection power is made available for you. So if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, the Bible says that you can live life and life to the fullest. And it's found in Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And those who believe it, who accept him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. So my challenge to you this morning, my message for you this morning is stop resisting salvation. Stop resisting God and surrender and say, God, have your way in me. I give it up. I give up control. I want you to have control. With all eyes closed all across this room, as I begin to pray for you, I want you to pray to Jesus. If you mean business with God and you want today to be a new day of your forever, a new day of your life, a new day of your future, I want you to surrender today and say, Jesus, forgive me. I want to be born again. God, I pray for every single person in this room. Your word says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that you raised from the dead, we shall be saved. And I pray that every single person in here that is not right with you would get right today, that they would confess you as Lord, that they would repent of their sin and choose life, that they would choose you, Jesus, so they could ex escape eternity of torment, God. You made a way where there was no other way, Jesus. And I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. We're going to have some prayer workers up here for you. During the fellowship time, I want to encourage you to go and receive prayer. They will lead you in salvation. They'll pray a prayer over you. You could ask them, how do I get connected? How do I get discipled in this church? I want to grow in my walk with God. They're going to show you how to do that if you mean business with Jesus. Amen. If you could stand with me to your feet this afternoon, please. We're going to recite our confession of faith at this time. The reason why we do this every week as a church is because this is our Christian worldview. This is the lens in which we see society around us and everything that's happening in the world. We base everything on the word of God. So if you're with me, let's recite this on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world the Son who purchased my salvation and his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. In the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Spend some time fellowshipping. Give somebody a hug.
who's feeling the love today come on from each other from the Lord it's so good to have all of you guys here thank you for choosing Metro Praise International to worship the Lord with us today on behalf of all the leaders the pastors we thank you for joining us especially for those that of you that are here for the first time keep on coming back we cherish your presence here we lo would love to invest into your life our service is here at MPI or every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. and then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. talking about Fridays at 7 p.m. ages 11 to 18 years old. They're here every Friday worshiping God, winning their friends for Jesus, and God is just doing an awesome thing in their lives. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Look to your neighbor, say loving God. Look to your other neighbor, say loving people. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us, and so we want that's how we want to live. And our discipleship strategy here is threefold. It's connect mentor and send. Somebody say connect. The way we want to connect you to the church and connect you to Jesus is through our life groups. On the back of your handouts, you'll see the schedule for the quarter that we are ending here for our life groups. Find a place for you and your family to connect to, to belong to. This is where you're going to build friendships in the church, get a hold of Jesus, get closer to Jesus, study his word, and just really get connected, stay connected throughout the week. So here's a snapshot of what's happening this week, kicking it off today. We have our single moms meeting at 5 p.m. today with childcare. So any single mamas here, you want to be there at 5 p.m. at that address. They're a bless your life. Those awesome women of God will bless your life. 
Wednesdays every week we have our King's Kids Life Group, infant to 11 years old. You want your children to be here on Wednesdays at 6.30. That's where they get into the word. They get to earn their badges. We have Royal Rangers Boys Club, Impact Girls Club. It's an awesome time for our children. Every Friday we have two adult Bible studies that happen. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house, 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Child care is included at those life at those life groups. If you're an adult, you got to be there on Fridays. Build the friendships. Get into God's word. Be encouraged throughout the week. You want to be there. You don't want to miss out. And Saturday, we have our evangelism team that meets here at the church at 5 p.m. All ages are welcome. Just want to give a shout-out to Jojo, my man, 11 years old, went on the streets preaching the gospel. If an 11-year-old can do it, everybody can do it. So out of the mouths of babes, preaching the street, street witnessing, telling people about his faith. And you know what? We don't have the answers for everybody, but we know Jesus is the only answer. And so if that's all we know, that's what we say. So be encouraged to do that. We want to always challenge you. You will be refreshed. Then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We have leaders ready to take you through the 101, which is uh, welcome to your new life. We want to join with you and partner with you in your journey for discipleship so you could grow in your walk with God. When you graduate 101, you get into our 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, where we're going to train you how to be a leader. And then we want to keep sending you out to win more people for the Lord. And our goal here is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen. Say, let's do it. Woo. So exciting to have all of you guys for us to do this together, okay? Because 100,000 is going to take this many to get there. So we start with one, then we get to two, and then we keep multiplying and multiplying. And in a city of 9 million, how many of you guys believe that God can do 100,000? We believe it. And we all have a part to play. So we all have to be obedient, walking by faith, living for Jesus, and winning as many as we can for the Lord. We are going to continue our lesson on stewardship for our, from our Disciples Giving book for our lessons on tithes and offerings. We are on Section 3, Stewardship. Today's Lesson 11, Stewards Are Shrewd. Somebody say shrewd. Luke 16, 8 is the verse that we will be reading. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We've been learning this for several weeks. God has given us things to be wise managers over and to, uh, to steward it faithfully to bring him glory. So let's read Luke 16, 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. What does that mean? Let's find out. Three main points. Number one, he acted shrewdly. The definition of shrewd means to be practically wise and prudent. Jesus used parables to teach his disciples lessons on being shrewd because he expected us to be the best at all we do in both ministry and business. So how we are in our workplaces should be how we are in the church. How we are in the church should be how we are in the workplaces, doing everything in excellence is unto the Lord. Let's keep learning. Number two. People of this world are more shrewd. Jesus rightly pointed out that oftentimes we see people in the business world with more savvy and a better work ethic than people in the kingdom, meaning non-believers work harder than Christians. However, Jesus didn't say, don't strive to be wise and successful, but just pray and have faith. No, Jesus used the example of the world's shrewdness and basically said, be wiser and more successful than non-Christians. We have the light of the gospel inside of us. We have the power of the Holy Ghost. You need to stand out in your workplace. You should do things in excellence. You should be the best. You should be the one getting the promotions and the raises because you have the power of God inside of you. And we, we should impact the world around us. And number three, people of the light. 
Jesus taught that people of the light, his disciples, should be the best at what they do. Why? Because they have the power of the Holy Spirit to receive wisdom and work hard. Therefore, who should be the wisest doctors? Christian doctors. Who should be the shrewdest business leaders? Christian leaders. Who should be the best employees? Christian employees. Light is always greater than darkness, so let your light shine in your workplace and do the best that you can with what you have so that you can bring glory to God and impact the world around you. And here's a summary. Be shrewd in all that you do, especially in the workplace. And number one, let's apply this to our life. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after the tithe. Number two, ask God to give you wisdom to be shrewd in your career. And three, don't make excuses for failure. Make plans to succeed. God has given you your free will. You can have control of your future. Use it to the best of your ability with the power of God and see how you can impact your world. If you want to do that, let's confess this over our life on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. Stand up with me, please, if you could, as we prepare to give the Lord our very best, our tithes and offerings. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is a 10% of your total income, and an offering is anything above that, which we designate towards missions and building. Thank you again for partnering with us. We're getting so much closer to getting that Metro Praise International Church lit up sign. As the days uh, are getting shorter in this new season, nights are getting longer, it's going to get dark soon. We're going to be glowing up in this neighborhood, so it's going to feel so good to have that up by the end of the year. Thank you again for your generosity with that. We have two other convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church with your debit or credit cards. We have online giving, which is at our easy-to-use website, as well as in the back. You can see me after service if you, have, if you have any questions about that. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, your generosity, and for your trusting us to be wise managers over everything you've blessed us with. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. May we be lights in our workplaces. May we be shrewd in our careers and in ministry. I pray that we would stick out, that we would stand out as the best of the best so that we could bring glory to your name, God. And I just thank you today. I pray that you uh, bring increase, meet our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Please come forward as you give this morning. And thank you so much for your generosity.
Amen, amen. How many love Jesus? Can I get a whoop, whoop? You guys happy to be in church this afternoon? Look at your neighbor and say, God bless you. Come on, doesn't God bless his people, especially when we come to church? There you go. Come on, get you some. Oh, I love you. Love you. <laughs> Let's open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Let's go there together. My wife and I, we love saying the word together because it is a term that my daughter said, and we love it. It's a part of our family. I want you guys to know how much we love you and cherish you being here today. I've got so much on my heart. i got to decide what I'm going to share. The second service is so special to me because it's a new thing. And I love seeing you guys come and fill up the chairs and bring in your friends and family. I don't want to embarrass Anna, but I've been praying for Anna. And it's so good to see you're here with her other daughter. Let's give it up for Anna and her other daughter, Alyssa. Oh, where's Alyssa? Over here. Yes. And... Um, I don't know the other daughter's name. What is your name? Tatiana? Tiana. So awesome. I've seen you on Facebook. Can I ask to be your friend now? Because I didn't want to do it before. I was going to be stalking you. But now I know. Okay, I want to ask. But I've been praying for Anna. It's so good to see her here. So good to see you guys. I mean, God is just showing up and blowing up. Amen. I just can't thank you enough. So thank you. Look at your neighbor and say he's thankful. What more can I say? I'm thankful. So Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We are in a sermon series this fall called uh, the, it's called Seeking the Kingdom of God. Back up. No, the sermon series is called The Kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord. The Kingdom of God. Today's message is Seeking First the Kingdom of God. Last week we talked about part one and how when you seek God first, you got to put him above everything. Does anybody remember that message? Okay, now I use the example of imagining if you were on a plane 30,000 feet up in the air and it was crashing. Now at this point, a pilot comes to you and he says, I have a parachute that can save your life. But here's the deal. It only works one per person. And I use this as an example. Like use your imagination. Anybody ever seen Hero 6, the cartoon Hero 6? I just saw that with my kids, you know. So it's like this little robot pops out of this. This big robot pops out of this little thing, and then he deflates and goes back in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so he fits in a little box. So imagine the parachute fits in this little thing. And the pilot goes, hey, if you put it on, you know, you know, it finds out how much you weigh by your, you know, your body heat, blood pressure, whatever. And then it will expand for you. But if you try to take somebody else with you, it will not read their weight because it's only attached to you. So just use your imagination. I know there's probably a, a hole in here somewhere, but follow my logic. It won't attach their, it won't feel their weight because it's attached to you. So that means if you try to hold your daughter jumping out of the plane, it will not work and you and your daughter will die. Remember I told that example? Some of you don't remember? Okay, so let me just tell the example. Imagine you were in a plane going 30,000 feet up in the air. You're going to crash. The guy comes to you. Imagine you're me. you got a wife and kids. And he says, here, take this parachute. You go first. Now, I'm thinking I'm taking my daughter with me. He then says, if you take your daughter with you, you hold her. The one-year-old, little baby Zoe, the parachute won't work. You both die. But if you set her down and take it yourself, you will be saved. And guess what? There's one for her, your wife, and your children. This is the example I wanted you guys to have of seeking God first because that's a pretty strong scripture that we read last week. And you're going to see all these cool pictures. But we read this scripture right here in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 31, which basically says, if you do not hate, everybody say hate, 
thank you. If you do not hate your mother, brother, wife, children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus said that. I don't have time to go back into all these scriptures. i got so much to talk about today. So that's how I was explaining it. If I don't hate the idea of trying to save my daughter with myself, I will not be saved. I have to hate that idea. I don't hate the actual person, but I hate the idea of trying to be their savior. Does everybody get that? So that's how I seek God first. Now, if I take that parachute, now I can say to everybody else, hey, guys, take your parachute. Let me help Zoe. You take your parachute. See, there's only one Savior, Jesus. Parents, you can't save your kids. Husbands, you can't save your wives. There is only one Savior. And so anytime you try to put something else with, you, uh, with the Savior, you are now hating God and choosing them over God. So you either hate God, hate God, or you hate the idea of putting people before God. What are you going to do? If I love God, I put him before people. Does everybody get that? That's why, Let's just turn there with me because some of you all have not believed in me. i got to go there. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to be here for a little while. Y'all ain't talking enough. Y'all ain't talking enough today. Look at Luke chapter 14. We ain't even ready for Matthew 6 yet. I got to go through the two introductions now, y'all. Where's Jerry at? Is Jerry around here anywhere? Uh, do me a favor, Jose. Can you come back and move this for her so she'll remember that this has to always go back so I can get up here and do my thing? Jerry, you got to remember. Oh, look at the pregnant woman. Now I feel bad. Look at you. I feel so bad now. I know. You forgot, but you're pregnant. I was like, where's Jerry? You get her out here. Jerry, like all pregnant, moving the thing. Okay, Pastor. I love you, Pastor. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Do you know where the scripture's at, good sir? We just scrolling. We're taking our time. There it is. Everybody go, whoo, there it is. Whoo, there it is. Whoo, there it is. Shakalaka, shakalaka, shak. Whoo, there it is. Okay. This is what I'm talking about. This is <laughs> Those of y'all who were looking at me crazy, like it didn't make no sense. This is what I was talking about. This is in your Bible. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So I gave you an example to try to understand how Jesus was talking about hating here. I have to hate the idea of Zoe trying to be my Savior. If Zoe tries to be my Savior, I have to hate that idea from her. I have to say, Zoe, you can't be my Savior. She has to hate the idea if I try to be her Savior. Each person has to carry their own cross, a.k.a., in other words, parachute. The cross is what saves you. Each one of you got to get it yourself. The parachute is the only thing that would save you. You got to get it yourself. Now, as parents, we teach it to our children. So I want her to know about the cross. But if she ever thinks I can save her, that's a bad idea. She better hate daddy trying to do that. Daddy, you ain't my savior. She better hate that idea, right? Because you can't have two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. Jesus said that, right? You can't serve how many masters? So I can't serve three. I can't serve four. I can't serve 100. So 
You can only serve one. Bam. Now you all ready for the message. You all ready for this? Come on. Let's go to our scripture. Opening scripture, the Lord's Prayer. Let's read it on the count of three. Everybody, one, two, three. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And everybody said... Amen. We're in the sermon series this fall, The Kingdom of God. Today's message is Seeking the Kingdom First, Part 2. Last week we talked about Part 1, and I just went over that for you. And that is, if you're going to seek God first, you have to love Him, serve Him above everything else. Now Part 2 is, don't worry. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. How many think you got too much worry in your life? Anybody want to be honest? How many want to worry less? Amen. I want to worry less. That's me. I want to be honest. Let's look at what Jesus talked about worry. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. As you're turning there, I was thinking about this this week, that one of the greatest things we can do as a family is to teach our children how to trust God when things don't go right. And I hope that our parents and the parents that are here today will really get this in your heart today because when we freak out and we act like there's nothing going right in life and we put those posts up on Facebook, our children are the ones that see that as an example. And so I'm going to tell you a story today about some of the things that I've gone through in life, but I really want to challenge us as parents not to pretend we have it all together, but to really show our children that they can trust God because we trust God. And if you don't have any children here yet, one day you will. Set that example. Can I hear an amen? Just wanted to say that for the parents. Here's the second part about putting God first, not worrying. So number one, it's all about love. You've got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing is is you can't worry. You can't let worry get in your way. Look at what Jesus said. This is red letters, by the way. Jesus talking. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Now, let's just stop right there. How many would want to stop Jesus and go, oh, hold on, Jesus. You don't know about my life. Oh, you don't know all the problems I have. You don't know, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. You have it easy. You're the son of God. You don't have to pay any bills. But how many right now are willing to trust Jesus? If he said this, let us at least trust him for it. He's not playing make-believe. He, know he knows you have a real life. He knows you have responsibilities. Not worrying doesn't mean not caring. Don't get that confused today. Not worrying doesn't mean not preparing either. But what he is going to teach us is that worry, fretting, anxiety, thinking it over and over and over where you can't sleep at night, that kind of behavior, what we call worry, will never benefit you. And I'm going to show you in a hundred different examples if I have time, no matter what you and I do in worry, we'll never find a benefit. Anything else outside of uh, anything we do that we would be worrying about is better than worrying. We can do 101 different things, but anytime we get into worry, we might as well just throw away accomplishing anything because it will not do anything for us. And as a matter of fact, if that was enough, we shouldn't worry just because it doesn't work. We should not do it. But you know what? And I'll, I don't have this in the notes, but worry is a cause of stress, and stress is a cause of so many hospital visits right now. 
Stress is a problem that so many Americans are facing, and I'm going to tell you what stress did in my life. i got a lot to talk about, but let's get to it. Here's Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, don't what? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or when you get out of church today or, what, or about your body or what you wear or what you're going to wear. It's not life more than food, the body more than clothes. Hello? It's not, the, it's not life more than all that? I give uh, wives, uh, <laughs> wives, oh, what's my little joke here? I give husbands permission to nudge their wives or parents to nudge their children. Is not the body more than clothes? Yes, it is. It's, I ruined the joke, but it's okay. See, that's why, by the way, I don't tell jokes. If you notice, anytime I tell a joke, it never works. Nobody laughs. It's like maybe like a pity laugh. Like even like this, you're laughing more at this than me trying to do the joke. Because I'm not really a comedian. I'm really not a funny guy. I just say things that people think are funny, but when I try to be funny, it never works. And that's just proof for it. Proof right there. Oh, you're nice. Thank you. Okay, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? There's a key part of what we're learning here. Keep going, please. Verse 27. Can any of you, watch this, this is, the, this is what we need to understand. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. He didn't say by any of you concerned or, or by your concerns or your wisdom or your planning can you, per, you know, prevent things in life or prevent death. Yeah, you could. I could, add, I could add an hour to my life by not walking out in the middle of the street today, right? I can add time to my life by watching my diet, but that's not what he said. He said, can you add an hour to your life by what? Worrying. Those of you who have worried in life, have you done it enough to know you don't add nothing good to your life? How many have worried enough to already know I know where that leads? It just leads to more stress, more emotional problems, more um, imaginations that aren't true. Worrying has that result, but you can't get a single hour out of it. Watch. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even King Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. How many like beautiful flowers? Amen. I'm a dude, and I even like flowers. I like beautiful gardens. Remember we went to botanical gardens? That was so nice. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, so think of the flowers being clothing, uh, clothing the grass, you know, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of what? Little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Now watch this here. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is not saying neglect these things, don't care about these things, pretend these things don't matter. No, clothes, food, and house, and all of this stuff, it matters. But don't worry about these things. Worrying will not help you. Your Father knows you need them. Now look at verse 33. Let's say it together. One, two, three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Thank you so much. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now I want you to think about this when we come to the subject of worry. Imagine that you are in a dark room. The worst possible case scenario of something you could think of, right? Let's think of like a horror show, right? Let's just make this crazy now. You all want to use your imagination. Don't scare yourself, but you want to use it right now. Let's use it. Imagine you're kidnapped and you're taken into a dark warehouse and it's pitch black and you're chained to the concrete floor 
and all you can hear is the screams of other people, and they're really screaming because they're terrified. And maybe every now and then you hear a saw in the background. And then you hear somebody, Okay, and, and, you're, and you're trying to get free from the chain, and you can't get yourself free, and it's pitch black. But then all of a sudden, out of the darkness, just all of a sudden, you hear somebody that you recognize. It's Jonathan Scarrett. Jonathan, raise your hand. Now, he must have got kidnapped with you. It must have been after church or something. And Jonathan is there in the darkness, and he's screaming. He's scared. And you go, Jonathan, is that you? And he goes, yeah, it's me. Jonathan, what's going on? I don't know. I'm scared. You're scared. I'm okay. We're all scared. But then now, imagine all of a sudden, Jonathan says, but Joe, someone's helping me now. I can't see them, but someone's unlocking the chains right now. Joe, someone's giving me something to eat. They're giving me something to drink. Joe, they're leading me out. I could see a door. They're setting me free. I would believe Jonathan, especially if he was my friend. Are you listening to me? I want you to think about your life like that sometimes. It's a dark place. It's scary. There's people around you. They're dying, and it feels like you're trapped. Maybe you're facing a financial situation, a health issue, and you're trapped. But there may be a Christian, somebody else in your life, and they're saying, hey, God has helped me. God has done something for me. And I want to tell you, he'll do it for you. Even if you don't see it in your life, he'll do it for you. You see, the Bible says we're all walking through the shadow of death right now, the valley of the shadow of death. But the Bible says, fear no evil, for I am with you. My rod and staff will comfort you. See, the, things about, the thing about worry is that we're worrying because we care. It's not like we don't care about these things. We do care about these things. So parents worry about their kids. What's going to happen when they go to school? School started now. Are they going to make the right friends? Are they going to be safe at the bus stop? Just two children in Houston got shot at the drive-by shooting as the bullets went through their house. Are my children going to be safe? I mean, parents, think about that. And when it turns to worry, it begins to emotionally distress them. Right now in the, in the financial wor world, it's not really much better than the time we had the recession. Maybe it's better for some, but not for a lot. And there's people worrying about how they're going to pay their bills, right? Like, how am I going to take care of my family? And it's not that it doesn't matter. It does matter but then the worry becomes a stress and the stress becomes a fear and an anxiety and like never before people are depressed anxious and so what is God telling us he's telling us in this story that he creates everything and that if he creates everything he can sustain everything you see, what he's telling you by looking at birth is he's not saying, please let me switch it off to the scripture or just bring there for me back to Matthew chapter 6. He is not saying, you know, flippantly just look at birds, you know, because they're just so simple and, you know, your life is so complicated. Maybe they'll try to make you think more simple thoughts. No, no, no. What he's saying by looking at birds is, hey, I created birds and birds still live and are still alive. He's saying, hey, look at the flowers. I created those. And even though you keep picking them up and throwing them into the fire, I don't know what they were doing back then, but they were obviously throwing flowers into the fire. He said, I care about you more than that. We run after the creation to meet our needs in our time of worry. And he's saying, come after me, the creator. That's what he's saying. 
Now, I know in this room there may be some people that go, I don't know if I can believe in a creator. I don't know if I can just put my trust in that kind of a, a being because I can't see him. I can't touch him. Well, let me just ask you to think about this for a second. Everybody here, please. The whole entire known universe is made up of what? Matter takes up space and it occupies time. Everything we know in this entire known universe is of matter, space, and time. Now, just imagine for a moment that this is the entire known universe here. This pin gets used a lot, right? This little laser thing. Did anybody ever see Men in Black at the end? They play marbles with the universe, the aliens do. Okay, like three of you. Same thing like in the first service. I got to come up with new examples. Okay, four of you. Okay. Now, just imagine this is our known universe. In this known universe is all matter. All matter, all electrons, all atoms, everything you can see with a microscope to the molecular level to what you can see with the telescope way out there is here. All of time is here. All of space is here. Now let's imagine it's sitting right there. Did it, matter, space, and time, create itself? you got to think. You've got to talk to me as well. Because I want to know, just answer that. Did matter, space, and time create itself? Because anything that we see in the world that's made out of matter, space, and time can never create itself. Can never create itself. Could the first iPhone create itself? Could the first cr uh, computer create itself? No. So if it's no different if it's no different with a small thing in matter, space, and time, why would it be any different with the entire matter, space, and time? If everything in matter, space, and time cannot create, if nothing in matter, space, and time can create itself, then how would matter, space, and time itself be created on its own merit? It couldn't. If the smallest thing in matter, space, and time could not create itself, then that means the biggest thing of matter, space, and time could not create itself. Because just think of it like this. If you find a little ball, in the woods, you find a ball. The ball did not create itself, right? Now make the ball the size of the universe. Did it create itself? No. So don't let the size of the universe have you lose your sense of logic. The sense of logic is something does not create itself, okay? Now ask yourself this question. What could create matter, space, and time? Not something made of matter because it couldn't have created itself. Not something in time, because then it could not have created time. Not something that occupies space, because it couldn't have created space. So what do we call something that is spaceless, timeless, and immaterial? Doesn't take up space, it's spaceless. Doesn't occupy time, it's timeless. It's not made of matter, it's immaterial. We call that spiritual. We have a word for that. Now... God is spirit. That's what the Bible teaches us. So God created matter, space, and time. Now somebody right here may say, well, pastor, I know the answer. You Christians, you're so dumb. I know the answer. There was a big bang, and it banged, and that's where everything came from. Well, the question, in, the question is, then what banged? And who banged it? Because can you bang nothing and get something? Have you ever tried to bang something? Or bang nothing, rather. You've tried to bang something, probably hurt somebody. But have you ever tried to bang nothing? Have you ever seen nothing try to bang nothing? Now, that's what they believe if they don't believe in a God. Nothing banged nothing and created something. 
Now go back to this, all my smart 21st century friends. Watch this. That God is saying, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty powerful. I create stuff. You can trust me. And now today, we have that choice. We really do. As silly as it sounds, we really do. Because we think with all of our science and all of our jobs and all of our economy and all of our stock markets, we want to say, God, 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 hold on. I got it. You take a seat. I got it. And God says, hey, let's just go back to created things. Do you know scientists, can they create a bird? They still can't create anything living. All they do is manipulate living cells, not make them. And even if someone says they can create life with the electrons that we have, they've only shown that it takes intelligence to create life with the substance God has already given. But yet we still can't. Can we even create grass? We can make different breeds of grass, different kinds of grass. There's crab grass. There's, there's grass that we have in the Midwest. Has anybody been to the south like Texas or Florida or Louisiana? They have a different kind of grass. It's not quite crab grass. I don't know what they call it, but it's something different. I remember it. I, I live there. But we can't make grass out of nothing. Here you go. Here's nothing. Create grass. Create a flower even. So why, if we can't even create a flower, we can't even create a bird, why is it we think as human beings in the 21st century that we are going to worry and add life to our life? We can't. We are now forced in a position to do one of two things, either live as a fool or to live as a child of God. Let me tell you what the fool does. The fool says right now, look, look at me. I don't go to church. Hey, I build things. I sell things. I have money. I don't have to worry. I'm richer than all of you Christians. Let's say Mark Zuckerberg walked in here today and said, Christians, ha, 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 I'm richer than all of you together, and I don't serve your God. Look at me. I don't tithe, and I'm so blessed. You see, what we would say to him is, you're a fool. Because Jesus said another parable about the kingdom. He said there was once a rich man that stored up all of his money, put all of his things in his barn, and said tomorrow I'm going to do this, and then next week I'm going to go to Paris, and then the next week I'm going to buy this and sell that. But the night that he said all of that, he died. And he woke up in judgment. And he found out that all that he had was God's. And that he had used it for himself. And so because of his selfishness, he doesn't get to go where God is in heaven. He goes where God is not in hell. So often, and I've said it here during this time of the kingdom, we think of hell as the fiery pit and that, yes, that's true. And one day the devil will be there. But we think of it somehow like it's just about torture. It's just about God sadistically saying, I punish you. I don't like you because you didn't love me. No, no, no. Have you ever thought about hell just simply being the place where God is not? So the rich man, he thought, I don't need God. I don't want God. I'll do whatever I want with God's created stuff. But yet when he died, he didn't realize that was God's stuff. He doesn't get to take a U-Haul with him to judgment. And now his eternal soul gets exactly what he wanted all along, an existence without God. That is hell, my friends. That is the torture of what the Bible speaks of 
the fire will be the last thing on your mind. It will be the unending torment of your reject of God, your creator. So if somebody was to say to me, oh, I don't have to worry. I have so much wealth. I'll say you're a fool because if you don't have God, all you're doing is playing with his stuff. If you came to my house, a thief, let's not say any of you because I don't want to have you be a thief. But imagine you come to my house, a thief, not you once again, a thief, a thief. Somebody say a thief. A thief, thank you. Imagine a thief comes to my house. He eats my food. He plays my video games. He sleeps in my bed. Eventually, I come home. What happens? He gets in trouble for that. It wasn't his stuff. Let me ask the question to anyone who denies God today. Did you create matter, space, and time? So whose stuff is it? Kingdom of God's stuff belongs to God and his kingdom, doesn't it? You want a good definition of the kingdom of God? How many like a good definition? I updated it. Here it is. It's new and improved for you. This is why I go to school. Come on, somebody say education. Look at this. I got a new updated uh, definition. The kingdom of God is the Father's dominion over all creation, ruled by his Son and our King, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. So why are we worrying about stuff that we didn't even create? Why are we allowing our mind to think we can add more life to our life by worrying when we didn't even give ourselves life? You see, we can live as a fool or we can live as a child of God. You know what a child of God does? Trust that God is in control. How many want to let go and let God? Let me have you think about this as we get ready to close out. When we talk about heaven, we're talking about the place where God is, where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are. You guys remember the, the, the Trinity handshake last week? Remember how we did Father, Son, Holy Spirit? You all remember that? Okay. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit in heaven. Sin separates us here on earth. But I want you to think about this. When God first created us, it was never about us living in heaven because when he first created us, where did he put us? Earth. That's where we're meant to be. That's where we're meant to be. And is heaven a place I can fly a spaceship to and physically touch and plant a flag? No. So heaven is that immaterial, spaceless, timeless place where God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit live. Yet earth is what he created. And then he said he would come and be with us. We would name the animals, be vegetarians, eating from the fruit. But he gave us a choice, a free will decision. If you don't want to be here, eat of this tree of the knowledge, eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you shall surely die, right? Now, what died the day we ate of the fruit? Did our body die? Did we instantly fall over and collapse? No, Adam and Eve kept living. They lived a long life. They had kids. What died that day was their spirit, their spiritual connection. And you see, no longer was heaven coming to earth through the spirit of man. See, man was a spirit that lived in a body, not a body that had a spirit. We were made spiritual beings. That's why the Bible says they were naked and felt no shame. How many would like to feel naked and feel no shame? Come on, a lot of us, right? We want to get on the diet, feel naked and feel no shame. But that's still part of the curse. Now, what died that day was our spirit. Now, all we saw was the body. So what was the deception? The deception of Satan is you can live without God's spiritual kingdom in you. See, you have a hand. You don't need the spirit. You can eat an apple. You can build your own house. You'll build your own kingdom here. You'll be like God. You'll have your heaven on earth. But as we lost our connection with God, did we get heaven on earth or hell on earth? 
Now look at what all has come, the murders, the, the genocide, the death of children, all of these things. It's not God's fault. God said, don't eat of that tree. God, let us be in the, in the garden naked and not even feeling any shame. But what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to die on the cross to take away sin and then that the Holy Spirit may come and make us new. That's why the Bible says be born again. He said to Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again, John 3, 3. So what gets born again when I'm born again? Does my body get born again? No, my spirit gets born again because that's what died because of sin. Now think of this. The Bible says that we're to pray, your kingdom come in earth. Sometimes I've said on earth, but that's not the translation. It's really literally in earth, in earth. As it is in heaven, where do you think it comes? In a tree? In a bush? In an ocean? No. What are you made out of? You're made out of earth. The dust of the earth. Where does the kingdom come? In earth. In you. The Bible calls your body literally a jar of clay. They made clay jars out of the dirt, and then they would put the most precious things they had, ointments, wine, they would put those things in that jar, and it wasn't the jar that made it all expensive, it was what was in that jar, but if you didn't have a jar, those liquid things would be all over the ground, and so what God is saying, I made flesh to contain my glory, you sinned and it died, but I came to rewrite the story so that you could be born again. This is why he's telling us not to worry. He's saying, I made matter, space, and time. You worry about that stuff, and I can intervene and touch you and touch this world because I put all of this here to begin with. I make birds, and I make bird food. I make you, and I make your food. I make you, and I make your clothes. And he's saying, do you trust me? Will you trust me for my kingdom to come in you as it is in heaven. The in is where the Holy Spirit is. He's in heaven and he's in me. He's in both at the same time. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And you're like, Joe, where are your blessings? I can't see them. They're in the Holy Spirit who is in me. Ephesians chapter 1. Then Ephesians chapter 2 says, you are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Do you believe you're in heavenly places as a Christian right now? You should. The Bible says so. Well, how does it make sense? It makes sense because where the Holy Spirit is, your spirit is. Your spirit is where the Holy Spirit is. I know I get, you guys get lost when I talk like that. Can I just make it simple again? One more example. Satellite. Everybody say satellite. There are satellites above the Earth's atmosphere right now. They are in orbit around us. Have you guys ever been to the satellites? I don't know. I don't want somebody to be like, yeah, man, I was there last week, man. It was a crazy trip, dude. I was up there in the galaxy, man. I was all over that place, dude. No, I'm not talking about like when you were hanging out doing bad stuff. I'm saying like literally are you in outer space? But if you have a sat phone, where that satellite is, where the information is, rather, in that satellite, it's on your phone now. 
If you have a sat phone, you're communicating. You know, they talk to people in space. I'm not in space, but I talk to them. Now watch. The Holy Spirit talks to me and does all of this, gives me information, and then he does something that I can't give you an earthly example for. I can just show you how he talks. I can show you how information comes. But then the Bible literally says that because I'm with him, I am seated where Christ is. Now this gives me the understanding that heaven is not some place I travel to on a rocket ship, but heaven is like what I like to say, another dimension. So I am literally here, an earthly body, but my spirit is in heavenly places with Christ. Do you believe in heavenly places? Do we? Do you believe that you're seated there? Do you believe that the kingdom has come to you now? Now let's say in closing, as I get ready to close out, because I'm going to give a few more examples, let me just say this in closing. If somebody was to say, Pastor, I don't, get, I don't believe all of that. It's just silliness. Let me ask you a question. How do you know yourself? How do you have any intrinsic idea that you're even a self? Just stop and think about that for a moment. Are you a person? Because you know what you could be right now? You could be a brain in a vat of, of liquid up in an alien spaceship right now that he's probing. And so right now, Rocky's brain could be way up in an alien spaceship somewhere in some galaxy, and they're just probing and touching him and making him think he's in church right now. And as they're it, making him think he's in church, they make him think he got up this morning and dressed himself. And as I'm talking, they're touching his brain to make him think that it's a crazy idea that he would actually be a brain in a vat in their spaceship. And so they're just poking at his brain. See, how do you know? How do you know you're not there now? How do you know you're not a brain in a vat somewhere else? How do you not know that you are the only one alive in this universe and everybody else is a figment of your imagination? They feel, they touch, all of it, but you are the only person in this universe. How do you know there's even such thing as a past? How do you know there's a past? Maybe you were just created 30 seconds ago by something that created you to make you feel like you've lived 30 years or 10 years, that you had breakfast this morning, but really you were just created five seconds ago with a history that's been programmed into you. You see, these are the questions philosophers think on, but you know what? There is no answer to them unless you ground something. See, you could just believe you're that brain in a vat, and no one could disprove it because there's no way. You could be in the matrix right now. No one could disprove it. But the idea is, is that what corresponds most to your reality? What corresponds most to your reality is that you're a person. And at some age, you began to know yourself. And you began to talk to yourself. How many of you talk to yourself? How many of you are talking to yourself right now, wondering why I'm doing what I'm doing, messing with you? I remember the first time somebody said that to me, do I even exist? And if I'm a brain in a vat in a jar, and it got me scared. And I was like, maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> Where am I? Where am I, you know? But you're thinking to yourself, have you ever argued with yourself? You ever had an argument with yourself? Have you ever had a song stuck in your head that you just wish you could get rid of? And you're like, stop thinking about that. Stop thinking about that. And the more you keep thinking about it, you're thinking about it? Well, why am I trying to say this? Because you're a self, and that corresponds the most to reality. Now watch this. How do I know God exists? Because as much as I know myself, I know that God has spoken to me and touched my heart. That is my testimony. November 5th, 1995, Jesus invaded my life. 
Jesus crossed over into my life, and I know that he did that as much as I know myself. And so when somebody is to say, Pastor, prove it. I can't prove that I'm a self. I could be a brain in a jar. I can't prove there's a past. But if there is a past, if there is a self, if there is a such thing as a me living in this body, I can tell you Jesus has touched me. Jesus has come in my heart and made me alive. And so now ask yourself this question. Do I have good reason to trust him now? The historical person of Jesus who walked this earth, who was written about not only by Christians but non-Christians, who gave his life on a cross fulfilling the Jewish laws and prophecies spoken about him. And did he raise from the dead? And 500 of his followers say they see him and saw him and touched him. Were these men true? They died their miserable deaths because they said that people, uh, they said they saw Jesus and people hated them for it. They crucified Peter upside down. Paul, on his road to Damascus, was going to kill Christians, but he said he was knocked off his horse by Jesus Christ. Did Jesus show up and meet Paul? I believe he did. Now, if those things are true, my friends, it's time not to worry. It's time to surrender our lives to Jesus who cares for us. Would you please scroll it down? It's time to say, I'm not in control of this. And it's time to let go and let God. My story in closing is just going to tell you the thing that I worried about the most. When I was first a pastor, the biggest fear that I ever had in my life was that I would fail at being a pastor. And yet my first church in New Orleans, I had to close due to finances. Came to Chicago, started off as a youth pastor, and started my second church. We started in this building. This was an old dollar store. It didn't look anything like this. I scraped the tiles to get the gum and all the gook off on, on my hands and knees back and forth, back and forth until I covered the whole space. And we were here for about four years before we hit 50 people. And then after 50 people, I said, let's go to a new location. It was right at the time when President Obama was getting elected, and I thought the economy was going to make a change, a shift. Our people were doing pretty good. At least things were looking up. But then all of a sudden, as we went and got this new place, the recession happened. And I watched people in the church lose their jobs, lose their home. And we had signed a lease that started off at 8000 and went all the way up to 12000 a month. And within about a year and a half, Ricky's right here. Ricky, raise your hand, please. He was there from all of those decisions. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't pay the bills. But there was a problem on this lease. I was a young man. I didn't know. They had me sign as the president of Metro Praise, but they also wanted me to personally guarantor, so I signed my name as an individual, not just the president. You'll hear about that in a moment. But then our finances began to get stuck, and people are losing jobs literally left and right. You remember what it was like, 2009, 2010, 11 and 12, how hard it was. So I instantly go to the landlords, and I say to them, we're in trouble. We don't have the money to pay this amount. Would you negotiate? Would you help us? Would you rent it out? We'll go back to another place. They said, no, you've signed a five-year contract worth over a half a million dollars. You have to pay it. Time went on. We then came back to them and said, there's no way we can pay it. It was up now to close to $10,000, $11,000. And I said, no, there's no way I can pay it. They said, well, we'll bring it back down to $8,000. We pay $2,500, by the way, here. I said, that's still not enough, but we'll try. Ricky was there, and so was some of the members of the church. And for two years, we tried to raise the money. And, and you know the church, how we do tithes and offerings. It's all we've ever done. 
But I imagine I would have to come up week after week and say, guys, we're short, we're short. And we still paid our bills. But everything was going down. My wife and I only made about 30000 40000 That was so much less than what we were expecting. I had to sell a car. And then the faded day came when I looked at the account and there was only about 9000 in there. And I had to come to them and I said, this is it. I only have 8000 to pay you and then the church is done. I said, I'm now breaking this lease. I have to leave. I've asked you to rent it out. I've asked you to reduce the cost closer to 4000 but you're not going to do it. I have to leave. Now, you have to understand at this point, I've already closed down a church in New Orleans. I've gone through the mistake of signing the lease, watching the people lose their job, and now I'm feeling failure because it was my decision to come here. I signed on the dotted line. My dad is a financial planner. I've had a credit card in good standing with American Express since I was 18 years old. And now I'm having to say, I got to break a lease. But they said, we don't care what you do. We're going to sue you. I called up a lawyer and I said, can they sue us? They said, yes, they can sue the church. I had them look over the lease and they said, not only can they sue the, le- uh, the, the church, they can also sue you personally. They said, why did you sign personally? The president only has to sign for himself. All the major businesses you guys all work for, the president signs for the company, not individually. Only small businesses get tricked into signing their own personal name on their businesses. This is why our country is great, because we protect business owners, even if their business doesn't work. They said, no, they can come after you. I go back to the people and plead with them. I say, listen, we're leaving. We're going to take everything down. We're going to clean it all up for you. All that we ask is that you just don't sue us. We owe you nothing. We've stolen nothing from you. I'm just telling you, as I've told you for the last 18 months, we cannot pay it. They didn't believe me. They blasphemed God. They blasphemed me. They cursed me out. They said every name under the book, in the book about me, everything you can imagine. And maybe some of you would think I would deserve it. Maybe I did because I broke their lease. Who knows? But I took it. And then I had to close the church because the lawyer said, now they'll want to sue the church. Just close it and restart. I said, that sounds so silly. Why am I going to do it? No, just close it. And sure enough, they came to sue the church, and we had to start over again. Came back here, and we started over again. The first thing, we have to always pray for our landlord, Lazarus. I, I said to Lazarus, I said, Lazarus, I'm not signing anything personally, only the president. He said, of course, I wouldn't expect anything else. Because that's how I'd always done deals up until that point. That's how we are here. But it was that dreaded few months later letter that I got that now they were suing me. I remember going to Peter Geraci. Everybody remember Peter Geraci, all these commercials? I'm like, Peter, I need you now. I need you. So I'm there at Peter Geraci's office, and literally, literally, they're looking through my paperwork, and, and, they're, and they're trying to figure it out. They're saying, how are you in debt for $500,000 with a church? How is that possible? And I told them what I did, and once again, they taught me that lesson, which I've learned now for the rest of my life. They said, this is unheard of. We've never even heard of this. So then I have to declare personal bankruptcy. Then I go to the bankruptcy court, and again, they're looking through the papers. You owe a half a million dollars because of being a church. What did you possibly do? What did you steal? I mean, they're literally in the middle of the bankruptcy court asking me, what did I do? And I told them, I personally guaranteed for my church. And they said... You should never do that. 
You didn't even have, I said, they asked me, did you have any collateral? Did you have anything? If you could, could, could you have paid 8000 if something didn't happen in the church? I said, I, I said, I get paid from the church. If the church doesn't have anything, I, I have even less. In the middle of my bankruptcy court, God is my witness. Don't feel sorry for me. Just hear my story. But as God is my witness, once again, they said, we're so sorry. In the court, they said, we're so sorry. We hope that you don't make that same mistake. You see, after I had closed this church and had gone personally bankrupt, I now had a decision to make. Am I going to come before you and be your pastor? Because my biggest fear was you would not respect me or trust me. Every leader was involved. You hear about shady stuff going on in churches all the time. It was the exact opposite. From moment one, our church was involved. Our leadership was involved. We did everything that we could. And no matter how many times they said to me, Pastor, it was the economy. It was a bad decision. Let's move on. I couldn't get past it. Some of you see pictures of me in the past, and you want to know, how did I gain 50 pounds? Because now I've lost 57 pounds. Give it up for Jesus. Come on. But that's how. That's how you gain 50 pounds is you shut down a business and go bankrupt. That's how you begin to get stressed. And I went through it. And I'm not proud of it. And every business owner here will know I'm not making excuses. I owned up to it, and I am not ashamed of it, so don't feel sorry for me. My dad has owned property. I've been taught from day one, you take care of other people's property like your own. This property has been so blessed. All of our properties have been blessed. I signed a two-year lease with my house. I had to tell him, I said, you know what, I've gone bankrupt. You're going to see that on my records, but I promise you we'll take care of this house. He renewed us for a third year, and then the fourth year he did it by text. He says, I trust you, just take care of my home. I'm in a half a million dollar home by God's grace. I had to go back and get a credit card, securing it with my own money, $300. I had to go to a bank and secure my own loan that I'm still paying off to myself so that I can show I can pay off loans. Don't feel sorry, but you get the point. I've had to learn. But here was the biggest worry. The biggest worry was, not that, because I was okay with all of that. I knew my friends had lost their homes, people in this church. I knew that businesses had closed. One of the saddest moments was at the altar of a man who did woodworking. He did woodworking for the mayor and all of these people, and he was telling me he had lost it all, and his whole woodworking business was gone, and he went bankrupt, and he could not imagine it. Just a year before, he had his own boat, $70,000 boat. He had his own mobile home. He had all of these things, but he had overextended himself. The economy went bad. He couldn't pay his notes. It all was taken. I knew that was okay. In my heart, I'm just being honest, I knew that was okay. But you knew what the problem was? Was whether or not Angel would respect me. How do I show up and pastor again? And you know what God did? He took me right back to that scripture. He said, oh, you of little faith. He said, Joe, I created you. I created churches. I, create, I created all this. Do you trust me? Yeah, God, but you don't know. They're going to judge me. Yeah, but do you trust me? Yeah, God, but I'm worried. You know, I got so scared that I was going to have no place to live. I called my parents in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I said, can I move my family there and then drive here on the weekends? I was so scared I wasn't going to have a place to live. And you know what? God was saying to me the whole time, you have little faith. So if you think this pastor is saying to you, when God says don't worry, he's saying everything will be okay, no problems will ever happen to you. That's not what this pastor is saying. Your pastor is saying you may lose things in life. People may die. You may suffer some of the hardest things you could ever imagine going through. But worry 
will never help you. Your creator still says, I got you. And so when we came here, October 2012, I said, Lord, I don't know how to preach anymore. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. And I remember the people praising God in this place. And that illustration just came alive. I create birds and I create their food. I create disciples and I create churches and I create happy days. I mean, everything I thought could not happen, God said, I can create in a moment. You see, it's real easy for all of us to sit in this church today and say, oh, yeah, I, I, I get it, Pastor. You know, I hear your story. I'm not going to worry. But what are you going to do when life hits you hard? Are you going to try to tell God, you take a back seat, God? Are, are you going to try to walk away from God? You know, I was tempted at that time just to close the church. Why not? Everybody else already thinks I'm a failure. Why not take it now? You see, you all have a choice, my friend. All of us will. And if I told you I don't worry anymore now, I'd be lying. But I'm just trying to give you the best example I can think of. All of us will walk through those times. But we have a decision. Are we going to trust him? Because you know what he says? He says, pagans go after these things. Pagans always think about their clothes, their food. But it's who they are on the inside that they neglect. And so God began to teach me a simple principle that I was taught a long time ago in Bible college. That it's not always the situations that change. It's you that changes. And I remember sitting down with one pastor, and I told my whole story. It was Pastor Ron. You guys met, met him, you know. And I told him the whole story, and I just kind of like cringed, and I was waiting for him to just be like, dude, that was dumb. What were you thinking in an, in an economic crisis? Why did you hope in the economy? Why did you sign on that? Why did you take triple what you had been paying before? But as I was about ready to just take his rebuke, he said back to me, he goes, he said, you just went to the school of the Holy Spirit. And I said, what? He said, you just went to the school of the Holy Spirit. And I go, what do you mean, Pastor Ron? He said, because there are things God couldn't teach you unless you went through it. He said, now God has taught you things that you were never willing to hear before. I remember as I was getting ready to sign these papers, Pastor Brother Anthony, some of you guys know him. He said, maybe you should hold up a little bit. And I was like, no, this is a good deal. I remember somebody telling me earlier on, before you sign documents, have a lawyer look at it. But the guy, the property owner who blasphemed God at the end of the deal, at the beginning of the deal, seemed like I could do no wrong. Just sign it now. We'll get you the keys today. I, my, boss, you know, my other partner has to do this. Just has to sign it now. It was still my fault, though. But you see, the school of the Holy Spirit had to teach me something. I want you to ask yourself right now, what are the things I worry about? What do I worry about? I worry about my kids. Do I worry about what's going to happen in the economy? I guarantee you there's people, enough people in this room where they can walk up to me as they have before and go, Pastor, don't worry about it. I've gone through it too. I just talked, and I won't, won't want to give any more information than this because it was in the first service, but there's people going to business meetings right now where all of those things are on the table, and they said that message was just for me because I feel like a failure. I don't know how to explain it all. I don't know how to make it work. But I got to trust God. How many of you got to trust God today for something? Some of you may be a small thing, but it's big to you. That's why we should never compare our problems to each other, you know?
Maybe you share your problem with me, and I go, oh, that's nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But you're saying, no, this is a big deal. See, we shouldn't flippantly tell people not to worry about stuff as if it doesn't matter. What we should say is, don't worry about it, but trust God and trust his kingdom and his righteousness and that these things will be given to you. And tomorrow, the creator of tomorrow, who's already there and you're not, he says, don't worry about that. I got it under control too. So what do we do in our times of crisis? What I say we do is we seek first the kingdom of God. Because you know what? This month, September, we have 153 disciples more than we've ever had in the history of the church. We have a financially secure church more than we've ever had. We have more people in the church than we've ever had. We have more pastors in the church than we ever had. But you know what it took? It took me letting go and letting God, taking a step back and letting his righteousness prevail and not man's wisdom, not being like a pagan, but being like Jesus. And so I want to tell you, you may go through a storm, but there's somebody on the other side of that storm. There's somebody that's going to meet you there if you'll hang on. There's somebody rescuing people around you right now in that dark room and if you can trust and seek God he'll come to you Ben would you come please last story in closing I was talking to somebody once and they were telling me that they had been diagnosed with cancer and that it was fatal and I was sitting there talking to them and he was a man of God and I'm like, by the way, and I was looking at him, and he was more healthier than me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you get it. What about me? I mean, I'll just keep it real. I mean, I was like, oh, my gosh, if you get cancer. But then I didn't understand. It's, a lot of it's genetics, right? This guy jogged. He was into healthy stuff. Beautiful man. If I could say that, beautiful man. Ricky knows him. Ricky knows him. Father, man of God. And I could see he was beginning to get frail. I hardly didn't recognize him by his frame because he was so skinny. And I said, what are you doing to try to get better? And he said, I've stopped chemo. He said it was taking away the joy of life. It wasn't working anyway. He said, I'm just going to live a natural diet, do my best, and whenever God takes me, I'll go. And I'm like thinking... This dude's telling me he's ready to die. And I'm like, aren't you scared? Like, what are you thinking about right now? And he told me, he said, if I could trust God, when I first got saved to save my soul, I can trust him now. In other words, why would I stop now? This is it. I have a soul and a body, and it's dying. I believe souls either go to heaven or hell. Someone died to save my soul. I trusted in him day after day through all the other stuff. Mine as well. Trust in him now. But he did it with more than that. He had joy on his face. He was cracking jokes. And I learned that day that God is bigger than cancer. I don't know the things you're facing today, but God is bigger than it. He creates birds and bird food. He creates grass and flowers of the field. He created you and all that you need. And what he's asking us is, do you trust me? Do you want to walk through life with me? Do you want to cast your burdens on me? How many of us here have worried and found out it did nothing anyway? Haven't we done that enough? So he's saying, why not try it my way? Why not do it my way? Why not let go and let me? 
And does that mean we don't plan? Does that mean we throw away our 401Ks? No, we become wise. We become shrewd. Does that mean we don't take care of our children, teach them wisdom? No, I'm going to make sure I look at a lease before my son signs it. But what do we do? We say, God, out of all the things we can control, we still know it's not enough. So we trust you. If we could all say this together and mean it today, I would have believed that my story and all of this meant something if we could really mean this today. God, I'll do my best and trust you with the rest. If you'll do that today, it was worth coming to church. Amen. Would you stand up to your feet? Will you bless the Lord with me today? And would you come, altar workers? How many are going to do their best and let God do the rest? Because there's a seeking of the kingdom. It's not just a sit on your chair and get the kingdom. It's a seeking. Seek God's kingdom on your job, bro. Go be the best. Uh, aren't you a manager there? Be the best manager. Where's that place? We'll promote it right now. What's the name of it? Plumber Chocolate? Lumber. Lumber. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. Lumber. Why is it of all the names it has to be so weird that I can't even understand it? Was his name Blummer? His, his, was, was the dude named Blummer? Like, cool. So tell Blummer, I said, what's up? We promoted him in church. You're a manager at Blummer Chocolate. Go seek God's kingdom there, sir. Ask God how you can be the best. And after you've done that, let him take care of the rest. If Blummer Chocolate goes bankrupt, if they close the doors, if they hire a new manager, you stick with God because God will bring you to another place. Hershey's Chocolate. No, I'm just kidding. But don't we have a factory around here? I've seen Hershey chocolate somewhere. Where's that factory at? I know you would know. By Hosolito's house, right? Does anybody know where the Hershey factory is? Her dad used to work at the Brock's Candy Factory. That's where they filmed Batman at. We want to build a church there. And we got my brother right here. I'm going to get my, watch, watch. We got we to encourage my brother right here. Yes, Alex and Maria, come on up here. I want to pray for them. Would you help me? Alex owns a business. Maria just got a new job. Can I pray for you guys? Promotion too. That's it. Let's stretch our hands and pray for Alex. God, I pray for you. Alex's job, his company, that you'll bless him, that you'll do a wonderful work in his life, oh, Lord. That, God, whatever, whatever things he faces, you'll prosper him. And that, Lord, you'll bless Maria as she seeks you in your kingdom and what she does with the passports, Father God, and the promotion you've given her. I pray, Lord, that she'll be faithful and that you'll make her fruitful and that no matter what happens in their life, oh, God, you will work all things for their good. You will work all things for their good. In Jesus' name. If you love Alex and Maria, give the Lord a hand clap for them. Amen. I wanted to bless you guys. I just felt that for you. I got to call out some more people right now. I'm feeling Jesus. Brian, come on up here. I want to pray for Brian. Brian works with his hands. How many people work with your hands? Okay, I guess it's just you because I was going to call up other burly men. God's given you so many dreams and visions to work with your company, to do big things. Who knows what God's going to do? Maybe be a developer one day. I just want to pray that he'll bless you, that you'll feel confident about marrying and starting a family wherever Carol's at, and that you're going to know whatever comes your way, God can do it. Amen.
And if he can use a jacked up high school dropout, come on, high school dropout, yeah, to get a doctorate, to start a church for the second, third time. I don't even know what number I'm on. If you count Wicker, it's our third one. But yet it's the best it's ever been. Who knows what he'll do through you, amen? Father, I pray you bless him. Bless him as he works with his hands. Bless him, God, as he works, God, as a burly man. Keep him safe. Give him good ideas. Bless his company. Use him for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Come on, let me pray for Rachel and Esther. Come on, let me pray for you guys. Esther, this Esther. I love people who take care of people. And you're a paramedic now? A nurse? What are you doing now? Nurse and paramedic, but right now I'm working with That's awesome. You do all of that, right? Oh, so you have the education, but you're not in it. Yes, but I stopped after I got pregnant with my young one, and I'm waiting for her to go to school to go back. So meanwhile, I've taken babies. You're still helping people. You've been, you know what it's like. You're a nurse right now. What's it like being a nurse? But you know what? There's got to be tough days. There's got to be times people don't treat you right. But you know what? You bring God's kingdom there despite that, don't you? Despite the ups and downs. Can I pray for them right now? Come on, let's pray together. Father, I pray you bless them. I thank you for the joy that they have to use their gifts to help others. I pray, Lord, that they don't worry about their job. They don't worry about how customers or the clients treat them. But, Lord, the patients, how they treat them. But, Lord, they know they get their approval from you. They get their joy from you. And, Lord, I pray that there will be people that tell them thank you and appreciate all they do. Because, Lord, you created them for a purpose. Your kingdom purpose, your righteousness is in their lives. In Jesus' name, let's give it up for them right now. Come on. Amen. I love you, ladies. Come on, just a few more. Let me pray for Jacob. I was talking to him about the film industry. Come on. If you ever want to be in a movie, talk to Jacob. Jacob's making movies, videos, all types of things, documentaries. Bradley College graduate. Anybody else work in multimedia, video, anybody? Okay, is that you shaking your head? Don't be shy. Come on. He may have you star in the next movie. Come on. Tatiana. Is it Tatiana? Tiana, Tiana, why aren't you all excited? They don't cheer for me either. What do you do? Um, I take classes for photography and I like making videos and taking care of my reputation. Awesome. This dude is in the industry. He actually teaches it now, too. He's already a graduate. Have you heard of Bradley? Yeah. This is the real dude. Maybe say a few artists or something. Maybe she might recognize the name. Man, come on, he's doing it. See, but we're going to pray for both of you to do it for God and all that you do. Sometimes you may not agree with your clientele, but you do a good job, you'll honor the Lord. Amen? So we got to give our people in the multimedia industry grace because, you know, just, just because a guy lays the concrete and then somebody drives past the speed limit, it's not the concrete guy's fault. If he does a video and that guy's cussing, that's not his fault. He's just hired to do a job. But he's going to shine his light there, amen? And the same thing with you. you got to make a decision. Am I going to shine God's light wherever I go? Let's pray for him. As a matter of fact, Nancy, you pray for him. You could be a model. Lord, I thank you, God, for Tiana and Jacob. Lord, I lift them up to you. I thank you for the gifts and the talents. God, that you have on their life. I pray that they would use them for your glory, God. I ask, oh Lord, that you would continue to pour out your uh, creativity, your ideas, your wisdom, God. 
give them an eye to see things that nobody else is seeing, Lord. And I just pray for your favor over their life. I pray for increase, God, in this in this field, this area that they're in, God, that they would get the best promotions, best jobs, best opportunities. And I pray that they would use it for your glory, to further your kingdom, that they would let their light shine. So give them favor. And I just pray, Lord God, for your blessings to continue to pour over them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Can I just pray this before we go? And don't be embarrassed because I just talked about going bankrupt and getting sued and all that. Anybody here with financial troubles, if you have enough courage to step out here, I want to pray for you. Anybody that says, hey, I just I got some financial issues, Pastor. I'm not ashamed for you to pray for me. Come on, I want to pray for you right now. Let's give it up for some people coming up right now. Amen. We're not going to ask you to tell your story. You could be a millionaire saying, I got to make a deal and I got some trouble on the deal. We don't know what it is. Amen. We don't know. We're just saying, if you've got something to do with finances, can I just pray? We're not taking up an offering and we're not going to embarrass anybody. Do you know, by the way, anybody here ever hear the problem, more money, more problems? Or hear the saying, more money, more problems? I'm so serious. I live in a neighborhood with a lot of people that have wealth. You, it's so true. More money, more problems. So everybody understand, money doesn't solve our problems. We're going to pray that Jesus and his kingdom solves our problems, and then he gives us the money to do the things we need to do. Only one problem solver, Jesus. Does everybody get that? Money doesn't solve the problem. We may think it does. Oh, it pays my bill. But no, that's not the problem. The problem is not the dollar bill. It's the wisdom. It's the principle. And God teaches us how to do it. That's why he said don't love money. Love him and serve God, and then you get money, you get blessings. That's what he talked about. And blessings aren't just money. So can I encourage you guys? Everybody look up at me right here. Everybody look up at me. Whatever you're going through, you're going to be all right. You're worth more than a dollar or anything attached to you monetary. So just get that in your heart right now. You're going to be okay. Student loans, whatever it is, mortgages, whatever it is, you're going to make it. From the biggest problem to the smallest problem, you're going to make it. How you make it. It's now up to you. Let's trust God and not worry. If I were to tell you I don't worry, that's not true. I still worry about the finances and things of this church because I get a little scared sometimes. <laughs> don't want to lose this one, you know what I'm saying? Hello, let's just keep it real. You know what I'm talking about. Hey, you know, anybody who started businesses understands that. It takes a lot of risk. But you know what? Every time I think about worrying, my wife reminds me of this. God's got your back. God's got your back. So can I pray for you guys now? Will you all come around them, put your hands on their shoulders. People, stretch your hands towards them. Lord, we ask you to meet their needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. We pray for you to do supernatural things. Lord, if some of them have to go through the trials that I went through, I pray for you to be with them. Because we're not asking you, Lord, just for quick fixes. We're asking you for whatever is your best will for our lives. And I look back on my past, and I wouldn't change it because I wouldn't have learned what I learned without it. So whatever they're going through, whatever they need, I pray right now you begin to meet those needs. I pray you begin to show them that you're number one and that they can trust in you and that, Lord, you got their best interests in mind. Now, everybody here at the front and everybody in the congregation, would you repeat this after me? I will seek the Lord's kingdom and his righteousness first because I believe that all the things I need will be added unto me. Can we all just raise our hands and say, I trust you, God. Come on, I trust you, Jesus. Tell them in your own words right now. 
And now everybody else in this church, before we dismiss formally, do you need to let go of anything and let God have it? Some of you parents, maybe you're worrying about your children. Come on, let go and let God have it. Daniel was raised in Babylon, but God still blessed his, the, the children there, even though it was a wicked place. Yes, bad things happen to good people, but trust God. Worry won't do anything for your children. Come on, I trust you, God, with my children. Anybody here need to trust God for their job? Anybody need to trust God for their company? Anybody need to trust God for their health? Jesus, Jesus, we trust you. I will do my best and trust you with the rest. I determine to love you and not only to love you today, but when things don't go my way, I will still trust and obey. Can you say that today before you go? Come on, I'll not only serve you today, but I'll serve you when things don't go my way. I will trust and obey. 30 more seconds. Come on, isn't it good to be in God's presence, to meditate on our problems and give it to him? It's better than worrying, isn't it? It's better than trying to think about how we can fix it because he'll teach us his ways. He'll show us the path of righteousness. I don't have time to get into it, but for the next few moments, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just think about this. You're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. That means to do things the right way. Remember me in the least? There's a right way to do that. For you as a parent, there's a right way to do that. He'll teach us just step by step, day by day. Now, would you grab somebody's hand next to you, all those at the altar, those across uh, even these aisles and the chairs that we're sitting in? Because you don't know what someone else is going through. Can we hold somebody's hand? Come on. Everybody goes through something. If you're, having, if you're not going through something now, as the old preacher said, just wait. Your time's coming. <laughs> Everybody's going to go through something in this life. But as we do, can we pray for the person's hand that we're holding and say, Lord, I believe you're more than enough for them. I ask you to be with them today. Whether they're going through it or about ready to go through it, prepare them, bless them, keep them. How would you pray for me if I was sitting next to you today when I was going through the bankruptcy? You wouldn't even have known it, would you? But if you just would have prayed for God to protect me, that would have meant something. To bless me, to keep me, to encourage me. Come on, let's pray for each other. Lord, I pray that each one of us leave out if you're encouraged. Each one of us leave out if you're loved. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap one more time? Can you slap your neighbor high five and say, I believe? Come on, somebody say, I believe. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up as we worship in closing now. But you are dismissed. Have a great day. Thank you for your patience. Anyone need prayer, come on up. Or if you just want to talk to somebody, we're up here. God bless you.